Episode number 48, how much should you fund when implementing the infinite banking concept? In this episode, we're going to get a little quantitative, maybe not as quantitative as, uh, you know, some people would like. A lot of people love to look at illustrations, but, um, you know, because like everything else we do in IBC, the name of the game is about principles and process, not numbers on the page. And so in this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about what is what does it mean to actually quote unquote fund an infinite banking policy? Um, how to think about premium payments, and then we'll we'll talk about some trade offs to consider when funding a new policy when you're kind of thinking about how much should you do. So let's hop in. Hi everybody, this is John Montoya, and this is John Parings. We're authorized infinite banking practitioners and hosts of the Fifth Edition. Okay, um, let's talk about funding a policy. This is John Parings here, uh, going solo again today. Really missing John Montoya, but I'll try to uh, you know um, do the best I can here. And the reason we're the reason we're using this topic is you know just like most things, we start to get a lot of questions from different people when we talk to them in uh, in consultations, and so that that becomes, you know, typically a subject that we'll push out on the podcast. So in this one, it's how much, how much should you be paying? And a lot of people will, will use terms like how much should I fund the policy? And, um, so we're just going to harp on some terminology a little bit here and talk about funding. You are in a sense, funding a policy where you're funding your pool of capital. And that's really what we're doing. It's a place to store cash. And so we're funding, uh, our, our source of capital, but it's, um, a lot of times people use that because they're, they're still using investment terminology. So, you know, we're not funding a pol- we're not funding an account. We're not funding an investment. You know, we're not putting money into a fund. Um, what we're doing is we're, we're paying a premium. And, um, so, and this make, I think it's important to differentiate again. I've talked about this in the past, we're paying a premium. And the reason I'm kind of harping on it is because the number one thing that creates cash value is the ability to pay a premium. And, and so one of the things to understand is when people think about funding something, they think about uh, taking a large lump sum of money and putting that into something like an investment. And and that's not what we're doing here. And, And so I'm kind of uh, just reiterating the fact that we're paying a premium. Life insurance is very good at building a lot of value over a long period of time with very regular and predictable premium payments um, for that policy. We're buying life insurance. We're not funding an investment. So um, just, you know, again, kind of harping on that just to make sure we're we're all on the same page and we know what we're doing here. So how should we start? How should we think about premium payments when we're kind of thinking about how much we should pay? And, you know, what we're really doing is capitalizing, right? Every time we pay premiums, we're, we're capitalizing, we're, we're adding to our strategic source of capital, as Nelson talks about in the book, Becoming Your Own Banker. So if you still haven't read that, which a lot of people will book appointments with us, not having read Becoming Your Own Banker, And, um, you know, I'm not trying to shame anyone or anything like that, but it's the source material. So you can, you know, watch all the YouTube videos you want and get a half of an education, um, or get some, 
uh, information that's, you know, either uh, not complete or maybe even inaccurate, or you can just read Becoming Your Own Banker. It's a 90-page book. Most people, I think, can, uh, can do that. So that's where you should be starting. We are strategically accumulating capital, and we're using a cash asset, which is life insurance, that has benefits that no other cash asset has. And so we should be thinking about life insurance as a place to store cash. And therefore, it's kind of like, well, how much cash do you want to store? That's the question in terms of, you know, the amount of premiums you should be paying. So I'll ask this question. Um, if you've ever been on a consultation with me, I've probably asked you this, but if you had a place to put money that grew 40 times what it would grow if you kept it at a bank, um, that growth was tax deferred, but accessible tax free. It was liquid, right? Had, has the, the same liquidity as a bank provided contractual leverage with guarantees on the underlying collateral in the form of a no questions asked policy loan provision had creditor protection, that's different depending on what state you're in, but in general, much better creditor protection than anything else allows uh, for strategies to reduce taxes and increase the income generating generated on other assets, right? So if you had all those things, would you want to put just a little bit of money there? Or would you want to put as much as you could? And so that's sort of the thought exercise of the day. Um, the question is really, you know, how much should you pay? It's really how much do you want to save? And how much do you want to save in a place that has all of those benefits that that I just mentioned? So um, that being said, it's kind of like, okay, that's all great. So how much should I pay? Right? So it's like, uh, I get it. You know, we want to we want to have some some answers. And the, the the thing is, it's it's very individual. And I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you why. Um, there are some general guidelines we could use, um, and it gets into what I've talked about before with scheduled premium and unscheduled premium. And uh, by the way, this was in episode 46 dealing with large lump sums. And, you know, IBC policies typically have some flexibility regarding the premium amounts built into the design, right? So if you think about the premium amount that is regularly scheduled to be paid on a monthly or a yearly basis, think of that as the amount that you would commit to saving. And so, you know, you could use different rules of thumb, like some people say, well, you should take 20% of your income and save that, right? So maybe it's 20% of your income. Um, you know, maybe it's 10%, maybe it's 30%, right? But, you know, there are some rules of thumb in save in, in what you save out there. Um, so maybe that could be where you start in, in thinking about this. But the other way we want to think of it is because there's this leeway a little bit, you've got sort of a minimum and a maximum. That's the flexibility that's built into the premium when we're designing policies with um, infinite banking in mind. So what that means is you, you, so you've got your scheduled premium, you could go down a little bit if you needed to, and you could also pay more into it if you needed to pay more in premium. Um, and, um, this causes some people to try to like game the system a little bit, not game it, but it, it's not a nefarious thing. It's just like, for example, they'll say, well, if I could pay this, but I could go down to this maybe what I'll do is I'll pay this 
even though it might be a little bit above my, my comfort zone, because I'll just scale down to the minimum if I need to. And that's, that's understandable. But what happens is um, it may not be sustainable. And so what people have to understand is, especially in the early years, if you if you're using the paid up editions rider, and you scale down to kind of the base minimum of the of the of the policy, what you're actually going to do is you're going to stop paying the PUA portion of that. And that's going to significantly affect your cash value growth, um, especially in the early years. And so that policy may no longer perform the way you want to, if you, if you end up having to do that. So in that case, what I'd recommend is, is scaling down the overall premium and just pay the scheduled premium that's comfortable and sustainable for you. I mean, it should be, you know, as much as you can, but it has to be sustainable, right? It has to be something that you would think, okay, I can do this for 20, 30 years, whatever the, whatever the length of time is. Um, the other, the other side of that is, um, sometimes people will say, well, I'll just, I'll, I actually could pay more, but I'll just schedule this little bit of money um, relatively speaking, a, a smaller amount of money as my scheduled premium, knowing that I can put more into it, but now I'm not tied to it. And I totally get that. Um, I get that. Um, but what ends up happening is usually people start to, you know, when they first start a policy, they don't yet realize what it can do for them. And so I have quite a few clients right now that wish they could pay more in premium, but they're a little bit limited. And so what's going to happen with that? They're limited to the kind of the modified endowment contract limits that are set by the IRS. So they started smaller, but now they see what they can do with it. So they want to fund more. So now they're kind of maxing out their policy. Um, and it's not really even hitting the limit of what they could fund it. And so what's going to happen is they're going to end up having to pay up the policy sooner than what they had anticipated, which is not, you know, the end of the world, but now they're going to, if they want to keep having this great place to put cash, now they're going to have to qualify for another policy. And we just don't know what, we don't know what that's going to look like in the future. You know, sometimes we become uninsurable. Um, and then now also, now we're going to have a new policy that we have to uh, overcome that capitalization period all over again. So, um, what I try to recommend is like, let's come up with an amount that you can commit to for a long period of time. And let's make that the scheduled premium. And then if anything happens and anything happens outside of the norm, you need to go down for a little bit of time. We can do that. And if, and now you also have a uh, room to go up. Um, if, if you run into some money, you have some kind of a windfall. So it's really kind of about, um, sustainability, um, of, of the overall process of, of infinite banking, right? So there's no, there's no, um, you know, right answer, you know, like sometimes people are like, well, what do people normally pay? And it's like, well, it doesn't really matter what other people are paying. What matters is what's right for you. So another trade-off to consider, um, you know, we talked about, uh, dealing with lump sums again in episode 46, Sometimes people will want to, you know, have that scheduled premium and then maybe put an additional lump sum in the beginning of the policy. And so some things to consider there are how is that going to affect your liquidity, right? So thinking in terms of an emergency fund. So everyone should have an emergency fund, right? If 
COVID taught us anything. It's that maybe it wouldn't be a, such a bad idea to have a year's worth of income saved and liquid so that you can access it if things, you know, really go sideways. And so the thing we want to pay attention to, um, when we're thinking of amounts of how much premium we should pay is the, is the money you're going to use to pay, especially those early premiums, is that going to affect your emergency fund at all? Because remember in the early years of the policy, we don't have as much cash value as what we've paid in premium. So I'm going to say some numbers here with great trepidation because I know there's some people out there that are really focused on, you know, ratios of base to PUA. Don't get hung up on these numbers. I'm just going to do it to make it simple. Let's just say there's a 50% base and 50% PUA. And, um, man, I know some people are just like being like, Hey, it's supposed to be 90, 10, maybe, maybe not. Um, and I'll talk a little bit about that here in a second, but let's just say it's 50, 50. And, um, if you pay, let's just say a $20,000 premium, well, in that first year, you're only going to have about $10,000 of cash value, right? So if that's your emergency fund, you just cut your emergency fund in half, right? The liquidity of your emergency fund. Now, over the long term, it's going to be a great move because it's going to, you know, grow again, much more than it would grow in a bank. But in the short term, if that's your emergency fund, that can create some pretty serious liquidity issues if you ever had an emergency and needed that money. So those are some things to, to think about. Um, the last thing I'll talk about is, um, I guess that, that whole ratio question, you know, there's, and just going back to like personalized design for your life insurance policy. There's no such thing as like a truly personalized thing. Like there's only so many things you can do with a life insurance policy, but there are quite a few things you can do. There are a lot of variables. And every time you pull a lever over here for a design option, another lever over there goes up, right? So everything's a trade-off and everything's a trade-off between cost and risk. And we're working within the MEC limits. There's all kinds of variables that cause us to do different things with, with life insurance policies. How much you should pay is greatly dependent on everything else you have going on in your financial life, right? So while the, you know, if you go on YouTube, all these people are going to start talking to you about PUA ratios. And if, if you go down that, that route, congratulations, you just bought a cookie cutter life insurance policy, and you're on your way to having a cookie cutter financial life. The reality is, since everything's a trade-off, we have to consider all the other things going on in your financial life. There's no super secret way to design a life insurance policy that's better than others. The correct, there's no correctly designed life insurance policy. The correctly designed life insurance policy is what's correct for you. And that, when I say that, what I mean is everything else that you have going on in your life is part of the equation. And there's no, you know, one right way to design a policy. So um, that's why it's important to find an advisor who you like and trust. And if you're, if you're doing this for infinite banking, you should look at infinitebanking.org, which is the Nelson Nash Institute's website, and they list all the authorized IBC practitioners. And you can find one uh, that you like and trust, and you can work with them and just trust them to design the policy um, the way that 
the way that makes the most sense for you. And that's really the number one thing you should be looking at. So um, I hope this was helpful for everyone. Again, if you if you have any questions about how this could, you know, impact you in, in your current situation, feel free to go to the fifth edition.com. You can schedule an appointment right there with us for an, an initial no cost consultation. And I also have a online course available at the fifth edition.com where you can get a 50% discount whole life insurance fundamentals. And it's really for those of you looking at whole life insurance. It's really kind of a general whole life insurance course, but also um, hits on a lot of the topics that we talk about for infinite banking. So it's a great thing if you're one of those people that likes to, you know, do all the learning beforehand, before talking to someone, this course is exactly for you. Um, So thanks again, looking forward to getting back with uh, John Montoya on the next episode. And we'll see you then.